This podcast was produced on Ghana Yurta. We respect First Nations people around Australia and acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains, where the Festival Centre is located. We honour their spiritual relationship with their country and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. First Nations artists here are so extraordinary. There's a lot of amazing work and a lot of work that's developing and we can really be a part of that in this organisation and this building. We all have these strong ties, so we share stories, we share our art forms, share everything. Our identity is part of a broader identity that, you know, all Australians should feel proud of. Hey, Libby O'Donovan here. Welcome to the First 50 podcast, a 50th anniversary celebration of the Adelaide Festival Centre, the home of performing arts in South Australia. This magical venue, which I've had the delight of performing in over the last 25 years, has housed some historical moments and many of my fellow incredible artists. The Adelaide Festival Centre is located on Ghana Yarra. It sits alongside the quiet shores of Karawirapari, or the River Torrens, and overlooks Tandanya Wama, the parklands around Adelaide Oval. For the Ghana people, this land has long been a place to gather, meet, dance, sing and tell stories. Today, storytelling traditions that have been practised and passed on for millennia continue to hold space and captivate audiences at the Adelaide Festival Centre. Each year, over one million people pass through the doors of the centre. And whether it's the art that fills the foyers, the festivals that fill the calendar, or the songs and stories that fill the auditoriums, it has become a premier platform through which society can engage with and celebrate First Nations culture. I have three guests joining me today, and each one plays a major part in maintaining that tradition by sharing and representing First Nations people and culture through their artistic expression. As we sit in front of the Reconciliation Plaza at the Adelaide Festival Centre, I would like to take you with me on this journey. Joining me first is proud Adnumatya artist, creator of Our Words and Our Stories festivals, and the producer of our mob programs here at the Adelaide Festival Centre, Celia Coulthard is an inspirational advocate and facilitator, showcasing the best integration and celebration of cultural practice South Australia has to offer. Please welcome First Nations Programming Executive Celia Coulthard. I want to talk to you about all the incredible things you've done here at the Adelaide Festival Centre in the short time that you've been here since 2019. Mm -hmm. But let's go right back to where you grew up and your childhood and all the experiences that would have helped shape who you are today. You grew up an hour north of Lee Creek, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So born in Canada, but my Adimutna family are from the Flinders Ranges. So we were back and forth for many years and then moved over, went from Canada to um, Port Augusta and then further north. And so I spent my, I guess, most of my teen years taking an hour-long school bus ride from our family community, which is an hour north on a corrugated dirt road from Lee Creek to go to school. An hour bus ride with how many kids were on that hour bus ride do you think? Oh there'd be about maybe eight to ten from our family, our community and another maybe ten to twelve from the community up the road and then you pick up a few station kids on the way and so it sort of filled a small school bus. We had a very big old, you know those big yellow ones oh, for yes. a long time with 
very poor air conditioning and the windows wouldn't shut properly, dusty, noisy. And then we got a, one of those new flash ones that was like a 24 seater or something and pretty well filled it. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a small, small crew of us and the school was pretty small too. Yeah. Yeah. A country community, close knit, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. <laughs> somehow related to most people yep. there. How did that sort of shape your artistic life? Yeah. That's a good question. I think it, it's probably shaped my professional producing practice in just being pretty adaptive. Yes. You know, you kind of what's what's a bit of rain when, you know, the the adversity of growing up like that, you know, the kind of weather is you it's pretty extreme and yeah, I guess you just roll with the punches and nothing's too hard really. And I suppose I can bring that into my producing practice. As far as my artistic practice goes, it's a little bit dormant at the moment. <laughs> I uh, illustrated a set of books of our muda, our creation stories, and the illustrations in in those stories kind of come from my experience of living on that country. So that's, I suppose it's my artistic practice has been directly shaped by by those formative experiences, yeah, bring, bringing the, the ability to weather storms into producing events, which is pretty handy. Yeah, <laughs> you're management. thinking it's not an hour bus trip on corrugated road with no air conditioning. Yeah, How yeah. hard can it be? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I love that. So I wanted to talk about your role here at the Adelaide Festival Centre. You came here in 2019 as part of a Ryan Steel Fellowship really as someone who wanted to just be involved somehow, doing some admin, looking at the way that the structure of a company works or a major arts venue works like this. And then by 2020, like less than a year later, you'd instigated two full programs <laughs> here at the Adelaide Festival Centre. How did that happen? Yeah, it was oh, it was a bit of a whim. I kind of just, I saw the Steel Rowan Fellowship online and I thought, oh, I'll just put my hat in. I've got no arts experience. I've got quite a few years working in events from a hospitality end. Yeah. Oh, give it a go and got the job, which was amazing. And yeah, got to have a taste of those programming and marketing departments, which was entirely new. But I guess I was inspired by our mob, which has been here since 2006, I believe was the first year, a really big inclusive community event where a lot of Aboriginal artists and communities and families gather. And I thought, gee, that's, that's amazing. And what a great foundation for other programs. I felt like there could be an opportunity to really delve into literature as an art. Yes. Uh, and there, there have been previous sort of literary programs with our mob, but we thought our words could be a great, you know, addition as a literary arm and our stories as well to share storytelling, the art of storytelling with young audiences. And I, I kind of put in for a, a grant and it came in, the same week we went into lockdown. So that was a bit of a baptism of fire there. Yes. And um, yeah, we went into, we turned to film in a COVID safe capacity. And then the events got their first in-person debut, I guess, in 2021 with our words and our stories in, in theatre. Yes. Which is wild. It's a bit of a blur now, quite frankly. <laughs> So tell us, Celia, about our mob. How does the process work getting all of these incredible artists to display their work here at the Adelaide Festival Centre? Where does it start and how does it then turn into this amazing exhibition? Well, I guess 
Probably to oversimplify it, it starts with a, an application form online, which yes. a South Australian artist, Aboriginal artist, so any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artist who is based in South Australia, so you don't have to be from here, you just have to be based here for our mob, can submit their work online through our website. We do a big call out, goes out to the, into all the channels and through our partners as well. So we partner with Tanandi and Ku Arts and Country Arts and have um, and have them all push it out to their networks to get all these artworks in. So then the artworks get submitted and we go through, uh, there's a bit of a selection process. It's really accessible and open to anyone really um, and all styles of artwork too. So traditional, contemporary, we get a lot of beautiful carvings and silk work and, you know, mm. amazing stuff. And then we, the exhibition runs usually through August into October, so it's a pretty long exhibition and and it aligns with uh, sala dates too so and we also have our young mob which is the under 18 component and we through our center ed schools program we send artists into schools to work with kids to submit so aboriginal artists in schools all over the state mm. to work with the aboriginal kids in those schools to make artwork and submit it and i tell you what the young mob's artworks are the first to sell they're amazing yeah <laughs> and that's another part of it it's a, it's a great income opportunity for for those artists with their work in the exhibition because everything is for sale you have to get in quick it's very popular <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen <laughs> flying off the walls where the red dots appear. Yeah, like night. magic. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it's not just it's not just one style, as you say. The, all mediums in terms of artistic expression are part of, you know, bring it in. It can be sculpture, it can be silkwork, it can be wood paper as you like to work with, yeah. it can be traditional like paints or it can be anything at all. And I think that's really important because it means that expression is not just one style. Expression is however that artist is feeling and wants to put down as an artwork. Oh, absolutely. And we have some really regular contributors who don't just work in the same medium as well. You know, every year it's something oh. different and it's really exciting to watch those progressions as artistic progressions as well. Yeah. People who have been exhibiting for years and kind of their, their artwork changing and evolving and going from our young mob into our mob. And it's um, it's a really, I guess, wholesome and lovely exhibition because of those kinds of elements and how loved it is in the community. Like people really know and they come back year and year and they create work specifically for our mob and it's, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And then, you, you know, you have such a response yourself to this work and you're here working at the Adelaide Festival Centre and you're thinking – what else can we do? Yes. <laughs> and then you initiate two whole new programs that, that help to really just amplify the voices of, you know, South Australian First Nations people and beyond with our stories and our words. Can you tell us about those two programs? So our words being the literary arm, I am a bit of a writer's festival tragic yes. and I love a book podcast and... The First Nations literary scene in Australia wide, um, South Australia has got a, a really active scene as well, but all over the country is really growing fast. Like it's all, it's it's been there for a long time, but it's just, it's growing from strength to strength. And I just thought, oh, wouldn't that be great to have some literary panels and hear from the, these writers and yeah. add, add literature as a standalone event to go alongside our mob and particularly physically alongside it too. So have have the, the panels sort of in or around where the exhibition 
is displayed. So you're, you know, you're in it and you're hearing these voices and these stories and then you're surrounded by other stories. And yeah, so Our Words is a panel event. As I said, we've so far had every year, we've had about three panels. This year we're adding an additional an additional panel and venue. And we just kind of try and get a real diverse range of conversations going, some in conversation pieces. We've had a lot of poets on the panels talking about different genres in 2022. And, and this year we've had Dominic Guerra curating the program, which yeah. is just fantastic. He's got an incredible vision for the kind of conversations that he wants to have here and have with the community. So our goal with our words is to showcase our First Nations voices in that way, but also fill the audience with mob who want to, you know, hear these stories and budding writers who can be inspired by mm. these conversations. And then we also record the the audio from the session so we can push it out on, on our podcast channel from the wings and really archive those conversations and give them a bit more stretch from on the day. You know, we can listen to them again and again. And I do. It's, yeah, I love, yeah. This, I love revisiting them the following year or, you know, listening back. Our mob has been at the Adelaide Festival Centre since 2006. But in Celia's short time here, she has taken the baton and absolutely ran with it. It didn't take long for Celia's creative mind to light the spark that would become our stories and our words, extending the reach of the Our Mob program to new audiences and new forms of artistic expression. With the great calibre and popularity stemming from the Our Mob events, I'm excited to learn more about the impact of our stories on the community. Yep, so Our Stories is our event for families. It's a immersive campfire experience in a nutshell. So it's taking inspiration from the way I heard these creation stories growing up in the bush around a campfire by really talented storytellers, right? Elders in the community or, you know, people that can really spin a good story. Yeah. And I thought, gee, these urban kids could really benefit from that and really enjoy having that campfire experience. Now, we can't light a campfire inside the theatre and, you know, it's August, September, the weather, you know, you can't always go outside to do it either. So we've created this immersive simulated campfire set on the Space Theatre stage, and this year it's heading to the Dunstan Playhouse. Oops. And it's it's really intimate. It's for about a class worth of kids or, you know, 30 or so kids around the campfire. So they sit down and they hear dreaming or creation stories from the people who know them best. And we have three storytellers representing different language groups mm -hmm. and different demographics sometimes. So kids get to sit around the campfire and kind of get a bit of an idea of the diversity of story and place and lots of animals and creatures and language so they have their campfire experience they and they leave with their heads buzzing from all the stories and the sounds and smells of the campfire we've got the soundscape going with crickets and whatnot you often get the kids trying, yeah. to, trying to find out where it's coming from trying to pick apart the magic of the theater <laughs> and and then they head up to a workshop up in the art space gallery where we've previously had our young mob exhibition in and this year we'll have a thukery exhibition so exploring that story that nut and jerry story so the kids get to sit amongst more artwork and participate in an illustration workshop so I guess that's again coming from my artistic practice 
around illustration as a modern tool of preservation. So they're getting traditional storytelling around the campfire, followed by, I guess, a, a more contemporary method of storytelling in illustrating. And then they get to take their stories home with them and hopefully come back the next year and <laughs> the year after that. Absolutely. Yeah. How many groups are able to come and experience that? Because I imagine, I mean, it sells out so quickly. It's a pretty small program. I do about four school shows. Yeah. And we try and really encourage schools with a lot of First Nations kids to bring those kids in so they can have those experiences, which is really lovely. There's often family connections with the storytellers too, yeah. which is lovely because they get a bit of time to interact and chat and, you know, and because these, these, our storytellers are not performers they're you know people from the community so it's a beautiful exchange and it's mm. really not overly formal they're having a yarn around a campfire and yes we get about four school sessions and two general public sessions and the last couple of years they've sold out you know in under an hour because it's such small capacity but I guess we keep it intimate in that way and because again we're not working with professional performers mm. per se we're careful about the amount that we're asking from these community storytellers, often elders, yeah. and trying to make sure that they're looked after and not doing too many shows a day or, yes. you know, getting getting worn out. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing whole body of initiatives, really, that are, that's here at the Adelaide Festival Centre that you're at the head at, you know, initiating things and programming and being an artist yourself and obviously this it's it's being welcomed and embraced by everyone in the community around here because it's so popular and such a great body of programs here where do you see things like this in another 50 years well I mean, we are Adelaide Festival Centre, so whilst the programs are growing into a, a sort of a suite, a program of events, I would really love to see a an official sort of First Nations festival in the next few years come out of sort of all this growth yes. and, and continue and really to particularly champion the work coming out of South Australia, like our First Nations artists here are so extraordinary. They're, there's a lot of amazing work that exists here, a lot of incredible artists and a lot of work that's developing and we can really be a part of that in this organisation and this building. And so I'd love to see a primarily South Australian focused First Nations festival. Yeah. And I'm sure that's going to happen with you at the helm. Thank you, Celia. <laughs> it's been such a joy to speak with you. Cheers. I'm left totally enamoured with Celia's work, which is done with such genuine passion and care. I encourage you to take yourself on a journey with the Our Mob exhibition at the galleries in the Festival Theatre Foyer from August 17th to October 8th. And I can't wait to immerse myself in this event. As we move on, my next guests will perhaps be able to shed some more light on the other side of this experience. Tamana Sanderson Bromley is the recipient of the 2022 Don Dunstan Foundation Our Mob Emerging Artists Prize and is a proud Adyamanya, Narunga and Yali man. At just 19 years old, Tamana is an incredible artist with a body of work that spans multiple mediums and meanings. He works as a cultural educator, owns a surf fashion brand, is a passionate conservationist and his art is regularly in high demand. Sitting next to Tamana on a bright and chilly winter's day in the foyer of the Festival Centre is the powerful and accomplished Bakanji songwoman, Nancy Bates. 
Nancy is a profound singer-songwriter with a generous spirit that sees her constantly collaborating and facilitating artistic expression. Nancy has gone on to record multiple albums, perform all over the country and spearhead powerful collaborations, including working with women in prison, turning their pain and experiences into music. Her own life's journey is filled with stories that many people can relate to, and she has shaped this into a rich and compelling body of music. Tamana and Nancy have so many accolades, and there is so much I want to know about what they're bringing to the Festival Centre. All right, I'm really excited to be speaking with you both because you're both absolutely jam-packed full of achievements and both of you in your own fields are right at the top of your game, but then there's just so Hang much on, more Libby, to go. Hang on, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm sure are because sure I've, got, all, I've got all the information all right. here. I'll start with you, Nancy. You grew up in far western New South Wales. Exactly where was that? A little place just over the border called uh, Broken Hill. Yeah, born and raised there on Willikali country. My um, dad is Indigenous, so from Wilcannia, and mum was from Broken Hill. So, yeah, that's where I come from. I think we've got something in common with yeah, that, right? <laughs> I grew up in Broken Hill as well. Yeah. Great place. Yes, there's so much we already understand about each other now. Yeah, the space. The yeah. lead levels. The lead levels in the water. Yeah, yeah, the sort of really woke people as well out there. <laughs> Great. But that landscape and that countryside, beautiful, powerful, strong, even though, you know, mine, mining country as well, lots of extractive industries, it's, it's still remarkably strong country. Mm. It's beautiful. And I think there's something about often country that is so vast and it's so tough in some ways when it's dry and then when you when the wet comes and you think this is going to be great, but then that's tough in itself because it's like always extremes coming in. But then you get the beautiful result of incredible wildflowers that you will see for only a couple of weeks and then they're gone and the red, red dirt and the dry, dry sun there's something magical about it, though. Yeah, absolutely. I think this year I've driven all that country from Broken Hill all the way across to Canberra, all, all the back roads, and just before all that big wet came in and flooded everything out, it was virtually, you know, just on the brink of that, of floods coming after big droughts out in the far west. But I saw, like, you know, just like fields of Sturt Desert pea and other wildflowers, and I've never seen the abundance of bird life that I had out there with all of that water out in the desert it's just it was an incredible experience I completely understand what you're saying yeah yeah it is so beautiful and Tamana for you you've grown up near the Flinders Ranges so is that as far as Lee Creek or whereabouts along that That's yeah so a bit of everywhere central so around Wilpena and Hawker and also northern um, I actually got back from the Flinders um, last night so I got there you know a couple of times a year maybe five six since I've been you know since I was born I spend a lot of time in Nipabana, which is out northern, just a bit further than Lee Creek. And that's where my nanas and papas and my community is. Pretty much all over, I've spent, you know, plenty of time there. And the country out there, is that is it similar in the, t- in the sense that there's a lot of extremes, extreme dry, yeah. extreme expanse? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I know during maybe last year in the winter, there was it was snowing at Wilpena Pound, which is pretty amazing. Then it gets, you know... It's the hottest place ever in summer. So, yeah, definitely similar in that regard, just extremes to the max. And how does that influence your artwork? Is that something that you're constantly drawing upon when you're creating your visual artwork? Yeah, so 90% of my stories come from the Flinders Ranges. You know, it's been the place where I've spent majority of my life. 
we call it Muda, so our stories, our creation stories up there. And yeah, I get, you know, lots of different inspirations and, you know, ideas for all of my artworks from the land, the stories, the country, animals, and all my people and my family up there. Yeah, it's beautiful. And Nancy, for you, how much does that play a part in your songwriting? Increasingly, as I'm getting older, I, f- I feel like I'm starting to respond more to not just country, but the memories of childhood, leaning more into telling more stories about growing up in Broken Hill, being a Willikali woman. Recently, I had the opportunity to go back to country to do a residency for a whole month with a young Yordiota woman. I work with Alara Briggs. We met, she plays double bass and also writes and composes and loops and spoken word and just does an incredible artist in her own right. So we had an opportunity to go and just be on country for a month and to write songs by interacting with some of the archives, the historical records, but also working with the kids out at Wakanya, working with local Barkindji people and, and responding to that with writing. So an example of that would be Kirangalka, which means herding country. So we'd been out for a big walk where the sculptures are just out of town and we came back into town and about every t- around 6.25 every night, the blasts would start going off underground. And Alara and I were really, complete, we didn't really think about it. We were completely silent and we got back. We'd been out on country and those wildflowers and the emu bush and just like the, the wildlife, it was just a stunning walk. Then to have to go back into town with the reality of extractive industries. We were staying just opposite, you know, the railway station there. Anyway, the blast went off and you could just feel it. And we just picked up a guitar and the double bass and just started pouring out the feeling of that, the, I don't know, the tension, the, the strangeness of that, you know. Talking about strong country, then coming back into a mining town and, and responding to underground blasting. So, yeah, going more into really listening deeply to country and responding to what country has to offer. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone who's listening who wants to hear some of that sort of response in song form. I was lucky enough to be on YouTube and watching things and I watched I Belong, the song that you both did with the double bass, the guitar and the voice. And then when you watch that film clip, there's all the sounds of the the river coming in, there's the sounds of birds, trees. It's the whole experience. It's such a moving and beautiful piece I think one of the things that I love about your songwriting in general, actually, is this sense of space that you get with all of your songwriting. It never feels like you're rushing. I wonder if that's like around the influences of songwriting. I I think when you tour with with someone like Uncle Archie Roach, and that was a a three and a half year apprenticeship for me, watch his way of stillness and strength and gentleness in his approach to performing but also talking about some of the stuff that is really difficult for us as First Nations mob. He always had, there was, if you listen to Archie Roach and his music, there's always time to receive in the song the message and he always, you know, he always left that space, which is an important space when you're singing about big things and important things as well. So I wonder if that's a bit of an influence. Yeah, you're right, I write songs with a lot of, different people. I'm currently in the Adelaide Women's Prison doing a documentary called Songs Inside. So today's week five and we've written five songs. I've got a group of 12 women that I'm working with and that program will run until the end of September when they perform with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra in the prison. 
and they got told last week that's like, okay, you guys are doing really great. And also, this one's going to be played with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra in here, September 29. So the reaction was, you know, quite big. But I think you have to leave space when you're a storyteller because otherwise you don't get to go on that journey, the emotional journey of the song, wherever that needs to take you. And also sometimes songs crack you right open. And when that happens, if you don't have the space to deal with that, it can actually be sometimes a negative experience, especially somewhere like the Adelaide Women's Prison. You know, in the songs that we're writing, in the process that we're undertaking, there's lots of space in between. It's absolutely necessary, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I did listen to one of the songs, I think, What Love Is, that you wrote maybe in the first week, was it? Yeah, that was the program. The first program I ran in the Adelaide Women's Prison was 2018 and I'd come off of touring with Uncle Archie I needed some downtime. I'd been going in with him and Uncle Jack Charles into youth detention centres, justice spaces over in Victoria and around Australia because Uncle Archie and Uncle Jack really, they wanted to go into prisons to be, you know, signposts and beacons of light and just to keep reaching into our people who are so terribly overrepresented and, you know, disadvantaged by the colonial punishment system that we've inherited. I kind of just got addicted to that feeling of freedom. The way that writing a song or performing a song or or doing music together, one of the women said it today, it's like, she's like, sometimes I just forget I'm in here when we're doing music. And it's that freedom that no walls can take away and no colonial punishment system can budge. Mm. It's sort of addictive. And this is just personally what I think, but potentially many other people would share this view that it would be the ultimate human condition, freedom. It gives rise to so much. Yeah, we've actually written a a song. We had the first songwriting session in in this program. We we talked about what freedom was. I'd been up to Alice Springs to meet with Russell, who's Nelson Mandela's second wife. This is a week before I started the program and women from all different African nations who had to bear arms and fight for their freedom now jet set around the world in private jets to promote economic freedom and emancipation of women economically as a form of freedom and sovereignty. And then coming back and sharing that experience with the women and having a conversation with women doing time about what freedom is, turning that into a song, it just turns the whole system upside down, which is in the best way possible. I'm so moved by Nancy's reflections on freedom and the multiple ways in which it presents in her work, liberating her own emotions as well as the emotions of those around her. And while Nancy's artistic expression has grown and changed over the years, Tamana is just beginning his journey. Tamana was the youngest person ever to win the Don Dunstan Foundation Emerging Artist Prize at our mob. And I'm wondering how his unique life experiences have informed this stellar start to his career. And you've only just finished year 12, is that right, last year in 2022? Yeah, so I finished last year, just started university. I'm at Adelaide doing a Bachelor of Marine Wildlife Conservation. But yeah, I think finishing year 12 and having AMOB in the same year was a very arty year. Really cool experience to be able to, you know, shared these ideas from my year 12 art and into our mob to kind of have them bounce off each other. It was like a really good, I guess, time of my life. And can you tell me what it felt like when when it was announced that you had won the our mob 
competition. I mean, you must, like, like anyone who is in a competition, there's lots of other people, you look at their work and you think, wow, this is incredible, there's so many different things and then out of that, yours is picked. Yeah, it was, it was a really funny experience actually. I was with my family. I was kind of standing more towards the back and I heard Sanderson Bromley and I turned to my sister because she was also an artist in the, in the competition. I'm like, oh, good job, I guess she, she's won it. And then I found it was me. And even then, I didn't think it was the, I guess, the overall award. Obviously, it's like more than one award. And I was like, whoa, well, that's pretty cool. So I just kind of stood there, didn't know what to do. Mom's like, walk up to the stage. So I did eventually. Yeah. And it wasn't until I think I came down off the stage that I realized it was actually the big one. So yes, I was, yeah, oblivious to all of that. But yeah, eventually I figured it out. And has it helped to sort of inspire you to keep going with that yeah. medium? Yeah, for sure. So I guess that was my first time working with wood. So it's a bit of background in the exhibition I painted. I think it was three large pieces of wood. And that was my first time, you know, doing that. I guess it was a really deep and meaningful, I guess, medium to me. So I went out to the Flinders Ranges and got the wood myself. So with my uncles, there's some park ranges. We went out and collected the wood. The process of painting wood from my country was really deep and meaningful. So this year, a bit of a sneak peek, I've chose to paint some more wood. So yeah, it's really, I guess that was a pivotal point to my art journey and that specific art form. And yeah, I think that really, you know, was a big decision maker, you know, how I do my art today. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you both actually about your influences and how you got started. So Tamana, how did, were you always that kid who was drawing or sketching or doodling? Like, how did you start? Yeah, I get these questions every now and then and it's kind of interesting. I didn't really do that much of art um, when I was younger. I did a little bit of just, you know, kind of mucking around and drawing with my mates. But really it wasn't a great deal. It wasn't until high school I got into my school's gifted art program. And that's where I kind of started to, you know, do a bit more in my, I guess, the art space. And since then I've been, you know, slowly expanding my, you know, different types of media from Originally, it was silk painting, and now I work across probably over 10 different art forms, which was really cool to have a look back at it and think about how far I've come of the different art forms. Yeah, I read a quote of yours that says something like, I just experiment with something, and if I like it, I'll keep going with that. Yeah, I think experimenting, you have to, you have to experiment, really, if you want to, you know, break you know, create a breakthrough. Um, and I've experimented with lots of things. Some things didn't work as well and some things did. So I think even just the process of experimenting is an you know, amazing thing in itself. You get to, you know, learn so much about yourself as an artist or, you know, a songwriter or anything along those lines. Yeah, Beautiful. And, and your work and your art is absolutely stunning. When you won our mob after that, did you have an influx of people wanting to buy your work and did you have enough to sell? Yeah, so I sold all of my artworks in the exhibition apart from one, which I think my mum was really happy about because yes. <laughs> she wanted to keep it. It's currently in the lounge room. Good. But yeah, I think it's been really you know beneficial for myself as an artist, my business and yeah, getting my name out there. There's lots of interviews with um, people, which is a new experience, but I think it was pretty cool to be able to like have that experience and because it's kind of developed me and like prepared me for, I guess, future stuff to do with my, you know, my business and just my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, that's right. And just describe your business. Like it's obviously providing designs for fashion. Yeah, so it's a, it's a um, clothing business. 
And then I produce t-shirts, jumpers, beanies, and a bunch of different products. And I guess it's all about sustainability and um, conservation. As So one of my initiatives is I donate 5% of each product sold, or between between 5 and 10%. And that goes towards a different environmental and wildlife cause every three months. So I think for the first one, it's only just really started out that, up this initiative. I'm going to donate it to Bounce Back, which is a, an initiative that looks after endangered species, specifically in the Flinders Ranges. So my totem, the yellow-footed rock wallaby, is really endangered. So that's going to go back into that and helping out, you know, my totem initially. And then from then on, maybe reforestation, just a bunch of different initiatives. I plead Tamana's life experience growing up on Adyamantya country and living in harmony with land while being surrounded by culture and art has inspired his charity. This idea that where you grow up and what you're surrounded by impacts what you have to offer the world creatively is something that both Tamana and Nancy share. I'm interested to know if Nancy discovered her voice in her homeland or if music presented itself as a channel for her creativity later in life. I'm just a runaway. I'm just a runaway. And Nancy, I'd love to talk to you about your influences. And as a kid, were you picking up the guitar? I mean, you're a great player listening to you play and sing at the same time. And did you always. One day I'll be great, Libby. Yeah. One day. You sound great to me. Did uh, you always play guitar? Yeah, music was always around. I mean, back in the day, growing up in Broken Hill. I think there were like 42 pubs that were open at one stage. Yes. And we were probably a product of someone drinking in a pub one night, I suppose. But, you know, just in terms of like the live music scene that used to be before the pokies, mm, that was here in South Australia as well. Yeah, mum was – my mum was a singer in a country band, so I grew up all the time with just music around the old country records – if it was, this was a clean-up day, then, you know, you had like Paxi Klein playing on the Loretta Lynn, you know, you name it. It was kind of like that. But but I had a pretty tough upbringing and mum wasn't around a hell of a lot, which was kind of good because I could go and play with her guitar. And I just learnt from watching like as a kid and I didn't have much any opportunity really from that time. And then I didn't pursue music even though I felt like I could, mm. like I, I, I knew that I could learn music that I was good at something and that was this thing called music but also worried about I thought that I became a mum young and I felt that music would detract from being a good mum I didn't have any role models at that time around me role modeling this thing called you know having kids and being a musician like mm. just wasn't around me so I came down to Adelaide in my mid-20s and I didn't have a guitar hadn't had a guitar like just didn't have a guitar that we'd be at a party or, I don't know, visiting someone's house and someone would have a guitar and I was still able to pick it up and just play a couple of tunes just off of, like, remembering stuff from a kid. You know, I taught myself all this stuff. But then it was about a year after I, a year or two after I moved back here to Adelaide from Broken Hill with my daughter, my one of my colleagues, I was working at Link Up, which is an organisation who support members of the Stolen Generation to find their records and to go back to country, find family, all that sort of stuff. It was pretty heavy work. Mm. But my co-worker, Tanya, her brother was been heavily involved in the country music scene in Adelaide for a number of years. And she said, oh, look, why don't you go and catch up for dinner with Ricky? Like, he's just around the corner. Like, you've got a lovely voice. You should just go and have a jam. So I remember going around to Ricky's house and he had like a full, you know, little studio at home and another band room and 
way too many guitars and I think he, he got me to sing, I think it doesn't matter anymore, Linda Rodstam. Oh, yeah. And it was my first time getting up onto a microphone and kind of listening to yourself coming through that. And Ricky said after that, God, you've got a great voice. Like, we've got to do more. So, like, within if that turned into kind of more catch-ups and we put a band together. Ricky took me down to Derringer's and helped me book up my first guitar. And I remember my very first gig was at Sejuna at the Aboriginal Country Music Festival there. I literally thought I was a rock star after that, partied all night. <laughs> dead on the back seat in the bus all the way back to Adelaide the next day but something happened and then that led to more stuff I, I remember writing Old Black Woman a, a song a tribute to the women members of the Stolen Generation and I, I remember ringing up Ricky and saying hey Ricky I don't know I, th I think I've just written a song I reckon it might be okay and I remember going around and playing the song to Ricky at his kitchen table and his mum was also a member of the Stolen Generation and I remember just looking up because I couldn't look at him while I was playing. Mm. I looked up and he was just crying and he said, that's mum's story, that's so beautiful. Like, you've got a gift inside. And so that led to just kind of more writing and I had a band to work with and so on and so forth. And then it's just incredible the way that your life can open up once you allow creativity to come in and just got to embrace it. Yeah. And it seems from what you do, you know, as you continue to work as a performer, you also alongside that a very – active as as an activist but also as a collaborator as a mentor as someone who's continuously giving back yeah. there you are I think that's what for me and I think you could probably agree that it's with what intention am I writing this song mm. if I'm being authentic about who I am and what my intention is well then for us culturally it's abandoning this kind of sense of self. I mean, of course, you hold yourself there, but seeing yourself within the context of your family and your community, watching the younger ones come up, you know, what can you do to help them along? It's a natural, it's a very natural feeling for us as First Nations people to be collective in all that we do. And, and I feel like that's what the authentic process is and the cultural process of creation is that our identity is part of a broader identity that, you know, all Australians should feel proud of. And I know in terms of the giving back stuff, that's kind of like, it's like a, it's a good transaction. It's a good transaction to give as much as you receive. In fact, giving is the receipt for me. Yeah. So I feel stronger sitting in cultural process as a song woman and collaborating and diversifying as that's where my professional development comes from from the diversity of work that we're doing in the group that I've got at the moment working in the Adelaide Women's Prison. We've got a young woman from Burundi who was, who was raised in um, refugee camps and has made her way to Australia. We've got First Nations women from over six different language groups and then women from other places. And we're talking about really embracing those, those cultures and language. So we're working, working in different languages in, in our songwriting as well to embrace that diversity so that's you just continue to grow when you're part of the system that ecosystem of nurturing creativity being humble enough to appreciate somebody and always tell people they're doing well mm. that's kind of what it is for me yeah and it's a, a beautiful thing that if that was the case across this industry this arts industry whether it be visual arts or music or dance or whatever it is would be a much more beautiful uh, approach all round. We might heal this country if we did that. Mm. We might. Yes, I, I truly believe that. 
And the collaborative process, Tamana, how does that look for you? When I think about collaboration on my artwork, I think about my family. Mm. So we all, I guess, with Aboriginal art, you kind of share stories. Obviously, we're from the Flinders Ranges. We all have these strong ties. So we share stories, we share our art forms, share everything, as well as, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. And I think that's what collaboration in artwork is for me. And in your business, obviously, donating part proceeds to bigger picture ideas, bigger picture organisations that are about helping or healing or fixing or regenerating, preserving. It's a holistic approach to business as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've spent so much time in my country and I've just, you know, you you come so close to it. It's part of you. It's part of who I am. And to see it kind of damaged is really, really hard to see. So I guess trying to do as much as I can to help fix that and I guess there's plenty of people out there like me, like, you know, I'm sure you would be as well. You know, we care so much about our country and I'm sure, you know, I guess I want to be that space that people can, you know, use to give back. I've been waiting for some time To feel your good heart feeling mine I've been hurting for a past I cannot change I'm not looking for This idea of reciprocity and intergenerational collaboration can be confronting to arts industries where newness and competition is so rife. The top 40 charts rarely reflects the ideas of passing something on, and yet that is so embedded in the work of the artists in front of me. Between performances, cultural work, touring, school, charity, making shirts, drawing, and having strong familial ties, Both Tamana and Nancy have many facets to their life. It takes a lot of passion to represent these causes and to be a leader in the community. And I'd love to hear more about what continues to drive them. And Tamana, how do you keep yourself energised and inspired as an artist and as a businessman yeah i think just think about my family my mob um obviously there's so many stories of my like country that i love to share and i think i'm really grateful and lucky to have you know such a strong strong connection Mm. to my country my people i think that's something that some people don't have and i think it's almost like a duty for me to share it in a way for others to see to learn from and just i guess aboriginal and non-aboriginal i just love to share stories and you know of my people Mm. so much I guess I guess bigger than me it's about all of us that you know as Mm. traditional custodians owners of the land you know we have an obligation a cultural obligation to care for country and that means people whether it's your own people or other you know visitors just as much yeah we do it for us because that's how we see ourselves in the context of our lives It's, Mm. it's beautiful and rich and We've got way too many cousins and stuff. (laughs) I mean, Nancy, in terms of this massive list here of everything that you've done, I'd love to ask, you know, what drives you to keep going? Do you have a sort of a daily practice or a general idea or or something that you need to do that keeps you so energised and so inspired because you, from the looks of this CV, from just Googling you and just researching what you've done, it's so broad and you've done so many things I mean from being on the road with Archie Roach 
to working in, you know, with women who are incarcerated, to going out on the land and working with choirs, to travelling all over Australia and being part of so many different organisations, always giving back. How do you keep yourself energised and inspired and, and indeed like awake, I guess, for all of this? Because to be where I am now, all I have to do is stop and look back at how far I have come. And, you know, from a very difficult childhood and, and then straight into a, you know, a violent relationship as a young woman, then fleeing home and coming down to Adelaide with a three-year-old and the clothes on my back. And that three-year-old is in her last year of uni doing archaeology and we've broken a cycle, you know, mm. and it's process and healing. Why do we keep coming back to this? To keep mending, keep mm. tending our wounds, to keep open, to be loving, to give love. Mm. I can't find comfort anywhere else in my life in the way that I find it sitting in a room full of 12 women locked in cages writing songs about freedom. Mm. And incarceration isn't just a physical thing, you know. We are incarcerated in, as women in, in this patriarchal society and when you see the way that it punches down on women, that women are the fastest growing prison population in this country. And that woman could be you, one sliding door moment. I think it's, it's really important to stay close to the human condition. Mm. Yeah. So, Tamana, what's coming up for you? Like, what's next for you? And are you doing anything at the Adelaide Festival Centre coming up? Yeah, so I'll be at our mob this year. So, obviously, as I won last year the Don Dunson Foundation Award, I'll be able to have my own solo exhibition. So, I'm looking to exhibit as much as I can yeah, and hopefully create a really cool collection that you can come in and have a look at and, you know, be remembered. And can I ask if it's not releasing too many secrets, but will it be across mediums? Will it be partly your fashion business and articles of clothing and beanies and hats as well as painting on wood or painting on other mediums? Yeah, so it's very wood inspired. Yes. <laughs> I will say that. But it won't just be paintings on wood. So it's a bit of a secret. But You've got to come to you, it. Yeah, You've got to come and find out. But yeah, very wood and I guess country inspired. So mm. Once again, I got this wood from the Flinders Ranges, so I it's really close to home in that sense. Yeah. Like I'm saying wood a lot, but yes, it's very wood inspired. <laughs> right. I'm very intrigued and I'm sure everyone else is to come along and see exactly what this whole wall of your art will be and I'm sure it's going to be full of red sold dots before you probably even get it up there. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy, what's coming up for you here at the Festival Centre uh, and so beyond? exciting. No fix, fixed address are coming to Adelaide Festival Centre and I guess I'll be part of opening the show or supporting the show for the evening. So, yeah, I'm going to have to get my rock on, I reckon. No, no more of, the, of these folky 
<laughs> downtrodden songs. I'll have to bring my rock game, I reckon. Your rock game is very strong, so that's going to be a real joy. And what else is happening for the rest of 2023 and beyond? The songs inside, anyone listening, if you want to check it out, go on to Documentary Australia, have a look at the songs inside project. You can even donate some money. We're a little bit under budget, so that would be good as well. So mostly that and then perhaps looking at taking the Still Talking About a Revolution show, which won the Fringe 2022 award out into the regions of South Australia. So sort of concentrating that. And I've got to get an album out. Ryan Martin-John's just produced a beautiful album with me over in Melbourne. So I've got to somehow find space to do that. And I've got new merch as well. Yes. But the worst thing about merch and being a black fella is that all your relations want a T-shirt for free. Yep. And I'm like, no. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, for that's sure. the biggest barrier, yeah. isn't it? Starting your own clothing range. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. A hundred percent what you're saying. But yeah, at the end of the day, I guess it's, uh, you know, good to give a few freebies, but they got to support you in the end. They, yeah. They'll come through eventually. You've got to pick and cheese them, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, I've thought about a G-string range, but maybe not yet. <laughs> Leave that to me. <laughs> they seem, all right, you do the G-strings. Well, uh, look, they seem to be going out of fashion. They were all the go when I was in my 20s. Yeah. No one doesn't want to touch them anymore. Bring them back, Nancy. Bring back bring the them G. Back. It's a collaboration. <laughs> yep. I don't know how mum and dad are going to feel about that one. Oh, well, thanks, Tamana, and thank you, Nancy. This has just been a beautiful chat and I really appreciate you both opening up and, and sharing part of your artistic journey and your lives with us. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. It's nice to finally meet you, Libby. (laughs) Thank you so much to Celia, Tamana and Nancy for sharing their incredible stories here today. And may these stories and more continue to inspire unity, hope and respect for many more years to come at the Adelaide Festival Centre. Make sure to follow up with Nancy's work by looking out for the Songs Inside documentary and catching her in concert with no fixed address, supported by First Nations Voices on August 24th at Her Majesty's Theatre. You can find Tamana's art at the Our Mob exhibition, produced by Celia, and you can find links to their work in the episode description. Check out the Adelaide Festival Centre website for more information about our mob, our words, our stories and a whole suite of First Nations offerings that extends throughout the year at the Adelaide Festival Centre. If you enjoyed this audio experience, rate the podcast and share it with your friends and family so we can all enjoy the rich cultural experiences South Australia has to offer. In the meantime, if you need an entertainment fix, why not see a show? You can find out what fantastic performances are currently showing on the Adelaide Festival Centre website and social media. Search Adelaide Festival Centre or follow the links in the episode description. I'm Libby O'Donovan and you're listening to The First 50 Podcast, produced by Solstice Podcasting and the Adelaide Festival Centre.